Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the Paramount Podcast Network. I am Mike Casazza. Welcoming in Chris Anderson to begin another week of football at West Virginia. I say begin. Uh, it's almost game time. I forget about that, but kind of the beginning because Big 12 play starts very early in the season. Let's start with this, Chris. Um, you could argue this is a great time to start Big 12 play. A bad time to get Kansas. You could argue that it's never a bad time to get Kansas. Um, and that maybe the start of conference play doesn't really matter. But I suppose a lot of this is going to be in how the coaches pitch it to the players. We can get into that because that was a part of their press conference on Tuesday, especially Jordan Leslie. But uh, let's kick it off to you. Do you like getting Kansas at home to start Big 12 play? Do you like getting Big 12 play in week two? Would it even matter who you played or where you played or what conference they were in? Provided you're motivated after what happened in the backyard brawl. Yeah, first things first on the um, getting Kansas right now, I think, is probably the best time to get them because, one, I think West Virginia is going to be hungry after that close loss to Pitt. I think they know they're good and they want to prove it, and they're going to be at home for a kind of night game. I mean, it's a night game, but it starts a little earlier than usual. Um, and Meanwhile, you have Kansas, who is going to be riding high, after you know beating up on a really bad FCS team, and I think there are some things we're going to talk about that you know when you're a decent to good team, you have to beat just beat the snot out of these FCS teams and just be over and done with it. And Kansas kind of did that. I mean, it's 56 to 10. Again, there's some things that are concerning about them, but I think they're going to be riding a little too high from that. West Virginia is going to be a little hungry, so it's a great time to have this in week two. Uh, as for the Big 12 game you know, kind of breaking up the non-conference. I don't love it unless you win. Like, I know that's kind of a, a cop out there, but like, I think it lingers on you if you're sitting there 0-1 in Big 12 play when no one else is playing. You know, you look over those standings and it's just everyone's tied for first because they're all 0-0 in Big 12 play, and then there you are at the bottom 0-1. And but if you get a win, even if it is over Kansas, you know, the, the team that is presumed to be finishing dead last in the conference, it you're still sitting there at one and oh, you still have a half a leg up on basically everybody in the league at that moment. And I think that's a good, good feeling to have, a good thing to have, uh, given what's happened to West Virginia already this season. Yeah, Big 12 goes nine and one in the first week. Um, Funny thing about that, the only 0-1 team can be the only 1-0 team in Big 12 play come Sunday morning. Right. So if that's the best you can be, that's fine. The worst you can be is very different. But, um, again, and look at some of the, the games on the schedule this weekend, too. Alabama's at Texas. Missouri is at Kansas State. That, that might be interesting. Houston goes to Texas Tech. Iowa State goes to Iowa. Kent State visits Oklahoma. But Arizona State's at Oklahoma State. And Baylor is at BYU. Um, also... Tarleton State at TCU, but a lot of opportunities for Big 12 teams to make a statement or take a loss there, and I think you would include West Virginia, and also Kansas in that too, so probably more significantly, this is um, week one, but also week two for them. Do you happen to catch Jordan Leslie in Tuesday's news conference? I did. Provocative thoughts that as soon as the pick game was over, he gets in the locker room and says, hey, I've circled this Kansas game for quite some time. I don't know what to make of Jordan Leslie, except that I believe he buys it. 
so I'll, or I believe he sells it and believes it. So I'll buy it. Um, I don't know that he went into the locker room after that game and said, hey, this one's in the past. I really want to get Kansas. But he's also the guy that took blame for missed coverages and missed tackles, even though – and I'll have to rewatch the game, but I don't believe Jordan Leslie played, missed a tackle or busted a coverage. And I'm not I'll check, sure how... I'll check PFF for that just okay. to be certain. <laughs> I'll ramble for a second, and you can look that up, okay? Uh, so uh-huh. let, me, let me draw my point out here, too. He doesn't play. He doesn't miss coverages. He doesn't miss tackles, especially in the first game. But he took blame for that too. And I think that rather than make any sort of a mousetrap for his team here, he let everybody know in that locker room at some point, maybe in the meeting room, maybe in the bus ride. I'm not sure. Hey, Kansas might be good. Do not be the team that loses to Kansas and gets them over the hump. Um, I think a lot of people are of the impression that Kansas is on its way. How long is that train ride? I don't know, but. Neil Brown also made a point that their last four games have been impressive. Beat Texas, almost beat TCU, almost beat West Virginia, and walloped Tennessee Tech. Picked to finish fifth, Chris, in the seven-team Ohio Valley Conference. Eh, not a marquee opponent to win there, but you kind of buttress what Leslie says and what Brown says. I'm not sure Graham Harrell is very much into the the media chicanery or things like that, but they're certainly getting the message across that do not be the team that lets Kansas get one on you here. Um, don't be a punchline. Don't be 0-2, which is a number we can get to in a minute, but I'm sure the pit game stinks. It hurts them and all that stuff. I think they could have got it, but if they walk out in that field at 6 o'clock on Saturday evening and say, we're better than them because we've always been better than them. We're better than them because we almost beat Pitt. They will not be better than Kansas. When was the last time somebody circled Kansas on their calendar months in advance? <laughs> Tennessee Tech? <laughs> uh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> That's a team that like FCS teams thought they could beat. And, like, they were kind yeah. of eager to schedule them after a while. And, like, the word, I don't know, something I heard was that the like Kansas is very picky about who could schedule from the FCS because – they knew they might take a loss, and they didn't want to be a bad loss. And listen, they they hammered a, a team that's not very good. Did have an interesting uh, quarterback, um, Jeremiah Oatsfall, who I don't know if anybody, I don't know, wagers on the FCS or follows the FCS, but he was a really, really good quarterback at Austin P a couple years ago. Uh, injuries bounced around, but I believe he was like the maybe the freshman of the year in the conversation for player of the year, and injured, bounced around. Now he's at Tennessee Tech and just didn't get it going, but... I'm giving Tennessee Tech way too much time and credit here. Might have watched some highlights, Chris. So, um, anyways, my point being that you just you, you got to get out of your own way if you're West Virginia, and by that I mean don't let last week's frustration or failure stand in the way of, of getting on track and and beating a team that you're favored by nearly two touchdowns to beat. Were, were you saying you knew somebody that that gambled on FCS games? I know of one. Oh, there's many. Might be a text thread. Might be. Not sure. Might be mad at like certain school for getting a 47 nothing lead and having a 47 and a half over and under, and all of a sudden getting stuffed on third and one and fourth one of the goal line of the fourth quarter of a game. You're on your way to winning. It's oddly specific. Moving on. Sorry to bring up bad, bad, bad omens there, or. Uh... Bad gambling losses there, Mike. But uh, yeah, let's let's move on to West Virginia and Kansas. I I already started kind of my research on uh, this coming game. You know, three keys will be coming up later in the week. I spoke with Michael Swain from Fog.net. You guys that are listening to this, you can see that video podcast 
up on the site right now. Um, something that interested me very much so, and I think it gets it's one of those if you just look at the main box score and maybe didn't watch the game or only saw the highlights or something, you look at it and you say, holy cow, Kansas averaged 10 yards a carry. That's amazing. And they scored six rushing touchdowns. Oh, my God. They actually got something going on the ground. Did they? Did they? Because um, as I was talking to to Swain, he says, he mentioned something to me, and he said one thing that was concerning for him was look at the splits on those runs, yeah. on the rushing yards for Kansas. And in the first half, they averaged, I think it was a respectable 4.9, but like uh, four, it was like whatever it was, uh, 64 yards in the first half. And 42 of them came on like a scramble and like one busted play and a touchdown. And then it was like 10 carries for 20 yards, 10 carries for 22 yards. And that was first team on first team. And then as soon as Tennessee Tech started rotating in guys on the defensive line, once it got to, you know, the third quarter, the fourth quarter, that's when Kansas started running the ball. So when you look at it big picture, oh, 10 yards per carry, that's amazing. And then you realize against the first team, it was more like four yards per carry. And then against a tired first team and a second and a third string on an FCS team. Like, I mean, you're practically playing like varsity high schoolers at that point. Um, you know, it, it raises questions about their ability to actually run the ball despite averaging 10 yards per carry. Yeah, that's a great point, especially when you talk about the matchups, first team, first team, and when they happen. I'd also point this out, too. Um, one run, Devin Neal, 80 yards. Okay, so they finish at 297. 80 comes on one play. I'm not saying you take that off the board. Take that off the board. Now you're down to like seven and a half yards of carry. Still impressive. One run, Savion Morrison, 30 yards. One run, Daniel Hyshaw, 26 yards. One run, Jalen Daniels, 21 yards. That's four carries for 157 yards. Yeah. Greatly um, aided by an 80-yard run, which happens, but also happened at a certain time of the game where those things may happen. Um, take those four away. Again, you can't. You don't. But now you're looking at 24 rushes for 140 yards. A little bit more pedestrian. So... Kansas, 10 yards a rush. 10 yards a play, by the way, Chris. Um, number one in the country in yards per snap. Will that be the case Saturday? I uh, the Mountaineers would hope not and expect not. But some balance there, but also I think you're right. There's a little bit of a deception in the, in the numbers. It looks great pushing 300 yards, 10 yards a carry, but in six touchdowns by five players, but four more chunk yardage plays. Um, and again, one's an 80-yarder. Can they do that? We'll see. They have a very good offensive line relative to where it's been before and especially when it comes to like veteran experiences and we'll go to this back-to-back games now for west virginia minnesota and then Pitt. the defense has played against the most experienced offensive line in the power five didn't do great against minnesota did i would say pretty well against Pitt. um i don't think kansas is up to up to that level I think West Virginia's defensive line could probably expect to be successful here. Um, I'd be very leery about projecting anything based on what you saw on a handful of snaps against the Tennessee Tech team. 
Yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned some of those big runs, and you can't again, you can't take away big runs, but it does help kind of put things into context when they have 223 of their 297 yards on nine carries. Yeah. Um, and the other 21, you know, or, or 21 go for about 50, 60 yards, whatever, whatever the math is on that. Um, but it, again, you, you keep looking at it, you keep looking at it and the worse it gets and the better it looks for West Virginia, because um, Kansas kept their starting offensive line in there until the final drive. They, yeah. the, the starting offensive line played 44 of 51 snaps. So it, again, it wasn't, this this is a first team power five offensive line, just pushing around second and third string FCS defensive line at that point uh, when they start breaking off some of those big runs in the second half. So take it with a grain of salt, but also I mean it, it's obvious that they're going to be trying to build the running game because something else I learned in that conversation with Swain, I was looking at their depth chart. Kansas went with. Four running backs listed as or, or, or on first team. Yeah. And on the very first play of the game, they had three running three running backs out there as quote-unquote starters with one of those three running backs, not even one of the four that were listed as the four co-starters. It's Neil Brown feverishly scribbling. <laughs> <laughs> in his notepad. Why didn't I think of that? I love it. I love it. It's a deception thing. And like, I, I, I promise you that like a lot of people were curious about, for example, who West Virginia was starting on the offensive line and where they were starting based on their pregame uh, snaps, their pregame reps, their pregame warm up. Yeah, can we talk about that for a second? It was very different than what happened in the game. Because I think at one point, you, because you know, you're, you're messaging me. You're there on the scene, watching the field, watching them take reps, and it was like Jordan White was at left guard and James Committer was at right guard and Doug Nestor is at tackle. And then le- a few minutes later, you're messaging me that n- now Gmitter's at left and White's at right and Nestor's at right tackle. And then a few minutes later, it's, oh, no, wait, D- Nestor's back at right guard and now Hubbard's at right tackle. And it's just like, wait, this is – we're doing these shenanigans right before the start of the game, like on this right-hand side, trying to figure out who's starting. <laughs> these are all first-team reps. And, you know, Neil Brown kind of laughed it off in the press conference on Tuesday saying any any deceptions or shenanigans were were on Matt Moore, that he had no part in that. Um, do you believe that? Neil Brown finally blaming Matt Moore. <laughs> Is that what the fans are going to say? Yeah, Over Listen, good, a, hey, a be careful ago. what they clip off this podcast, Mike. <laughs> a couple of years ago, they did warm-ups in T-shirts <laughs> because they didn't want people knowing what the jersey number of the player was because there is a lot of pregame espionage, which is legal. You're at the field at this point, but like if you see a whole bunch of guys in blue lined up in line of scrimmage, you don't know who's who. And now they have a rule in the NCAA you can't do that. You have to have numbers, which is bizarre to me that they actually legislated that. But um, you see that now. Players are warming up, and they have to have like a number T-shirt jersey. Because they're on their jersey, but like, so what do you do now? You kind of do a shell game, I guess, and you move your offensive lineman a lot. Because I promise you that, like, Gamitter was playing right guard in the pregame stuff. And we talked about the expectation was that there would be a change in the starting lineup, and we're looking at Gamitter playing right guard right now in warmups. But I don't know, we'll see. To your point about Kansas um, and some of their deception, but they did not have a ton of snaps in this game, period. Uh, 42, I believe, is the number. 
hard to get offense. No, 51 is what I got. 51. Okay. And it was a low number. Hard to get a read in your offense there. But also, like, let me just go over some things in the first half. Um, Four play drive, touchdown. Two play drive, touchdown. That's great. But if you're a Lance Lightbold, you probably want to see some reps and get your running back and your offensive line and your quarterback some work. Next drive, nine plays, 60 yards, turnover on downs on the Tennessee Tech two yard line. That's not great. Uh, Six, yard, six plays, 22 yards, touchdown. And then a pretty nice drive at the end of the first half. 7.63, a really clever goal line touchdown pass to the tight end. Start the second half. It's 28-3. to three. Um, They get the kickoff. So, all right, keep your guys in. See how your first team comes out of the locker room. That's a pretty good test for the first game. 10 plays, 53 yards, miss a field goal. Next drive, interception, first play. Next drive, 80-yard touchdown, first play. That makes it 35-3. to three. You're late in the third quarter now. The next time you get the ball back, you're staring at 44 plays of offense, um, a lot of short possessions, one stretched out drive that was, eh, it got you to the goal line and you didn't finish. One stretched out drive that got you a field goal attempt that you didn't finish. And your second half is one play, one play, four plays, 76 yards by the time you get going with the ball at the end of the third quarter. So even like by the time you're trying to get things going there at the end of the third quarter, you haven't had the ball and done much. You get it back. You only go four plays to get 76 yards. I think they were trying to maybe just work on themselves there because the specter of West Virginia approaching, they watch them Thursday night. They probably knew they were in for one here. Um, it's weird. And in the past, Kansas may have needed regulars to play deep into the fourth quarter against an FCS opponent, but Kansas needed regulars to play deep in the fourth quarter just in an opener for rehearsal purposes here. I'm not sure they wanted that to happen, but they kind of needed that to happen. If they could condense those 50 snaps into three quarters, great. It took them forever to get the amount of reps they needed there, too. So I think it's a good point, but again, they could have, should have, would have finished some of those things, and perhaps that's indicative of Kansas, but it didn't have the ball and didn't do a lot with it when they did. Well, we've talked a lot about what Kansas is and maybe maybe more of what Kansas isn't, um, despite what you may have seen from the stats. But what about from West Virginia's side? What do, you, what do you need to see from West Virginia in this game and in this matchup against Kansas for them to, you know, obviously be successful and win the game? Yeah, got to stop the run for sure. Um, mm-hmm. They have the they have the running backs. Uh, they did not see Devin Neal yet last year. Devin Neal was their best running back last year. He did not play in that game. Um, Kai Thomas, West Virginia, did see Kai Thomas. He was the MVP of the bowl game for Minnesota. They also like Savion Morrison and Daniel Hyshaw. They're going to probably hand the ball to three or four guys. Right now, believe it or not, it looks like Kai Thomas, and, and somewhat of a homecoming, he's from Kansas, is their odd guy out. But Daniels is is a efficient passer. I'm not sure how explosive the parts are around him or how 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 wired the offensive passing game is for him to make a difference there, but Let's be honest, West Virginia has a bit of an offense that you might want to shelter as long as you can, so running the ball could do that. If you look at the big plays that Kansas had, too, on the ground mostly, but sometimes in the air, including a long 56-yard touchdown pass to a 6-5 burner named Quentin Skinner. 56-yard pass, I'm sorry, did not score. Um, They do a ton of stuff with formations in motion, and the formations are going to be a lot of 10 personnel. Sometimes they'll go two tight ends. Didn't have to do that very much against Tennessee Tech. But 
they had the capacity to do that. If you have two dead ends, you can move guys around and create some edges and all that. Um, you can also move the queue. So I'm going to watch a tight end while the tight end moves left and the play's going right. So be careful there. Because remember, Jordan Leslie missed some tackles and busted some assignments against Pitt. They do it in the passing game, they do it in the running game. And their big plays were a result of shifting, formations, motion. They did some funky stuff with like triple option with receivers coming into the backfield and, and tight ends going the other way. So they moved the pieces around again. Again, shell game again. You got to follow the ball. And Candace tries to make it at times like you can't find the ball. And watch the TV copy of things. There's a couple plays where the ball is going one way, but the camera is going the other. Now, is that ESPN plus production quality? Maybe. Is that design of play quality? Also, maybe. Because they do deceive you a little bit with some of the things they do before the snap, with the formations and the motion, after the snap, with where they send players. And if you can go find the, just Google this, the Quentin Skinner pass, Q-U-E-N-T-I-N Skinner pass, they have a funky formation. They got people coming out of the backfield on wheel routes. That spreads out the defense, and they send a 6'5 guy who can really run deep down the middle. And it's kind of uncovered because everybody's going wide to cover the short Kansas pass out of the backfield. Um, there's a rollout. It looks like it's supposed to be something short and on time, except that Daniels kind of flips his hips, goes back to the, his strong side, and throws a really good ball deep down the middle to an open receiver. So um, watch your eyes, watch your cues, and just be careful of the shell game there because the big plays against Tennessee Tech were by and large the result of some sort of design deception by Kansas. I like that you went big plays because that, that's where I was going, but for the other side of the field. Um, it's something that I mentioned in the preseason, my three goals for three sides of the ball. Talked about how West Virginia for years now has not had that game breaker. Um, the last three seasons, West Virginia has ranked 94th, 100th, and 99th out of 130 teams in scrimmage plays of 40-plus yards, meaning guys are just not getting that big game-breaking run. West Virginia had one of those against Pitt. That was a C.J. Donaldson run, which I went, believe went for 49 yards <clears throat> that set up the first touchdown for WVU. But Donaldson aside, you know, my focus is more centered on the receivers. And Neil Brown mentioned it in passing uh, on Tuesday, said, you know, he needs his receivers to make more plays. And there's a couple things here that you, and I, everybody saw it with their eyes. And these stats are going to kind of just hammer this point home. And it's kind of, I don't know what the word is here, depressing, eye-opening, whatever you want to say. Looking around the Big 12, the other nine teams in the league averaged three contested targets per game. Contested targets meaning that a wide receiver is not getting separation from their defensive backs mm -hmm. and they were targeted in a pass three per game for the entire rest of the league. All the other nine teams had 28. So a little over three West Virginia against Pitt, <laughs> 14 contested targets on 40 Four, attempts on 40. Yeah. 14 out of 40 attempts and only caught eight of them. And a couple that, you know, some of those are drops. Some of those are just simply, you know, good defense sometimes. But when you have 14 contested targets out of 40 attempts, you're not getting open. You're, you're just, that's on the receivers. You have to get open. You have to get separation. And West Virginia's receivers were not doing that. 14 contested catches. Second, 
again, related to these receivers needing to make plays. West Virginia forced one missed tackle by their receivers in this game. Mm. That was Caden Prather. I believe it was on the far side of the field, caught it on a short, maybe it was a screen pass, and then jetted up the sideline. One missed tackle in the entire game. The rest of the Big 12 Conference averaged five. The other nine teams averaged five. Now, this also comes with the caveat that we have put on absolutely everything we've talked about this week and about the results from this past weekend. West Virginia is the only team that played an opponent with a pulse. Like, it wasn't even close. Oh, Central Michigan begs the difference. (laughs) They had a winning streak in Stillwater. Okay. So, but still, my point is, was that a, uh, you know, we know it's an issue with the receivers not getting open and not making replays. We know that already. This isn't anything new. So it's not solely about the opponent and how difficult, how good Pitt is. But I want to see what happens against Kansas. Can West Virginia's receivers, because Kansas's defense is not Pitt's defense, is not. Can West Virginia's receivers get open? Can they make men miss? Because we've already seen it from this offense. You know, their favorite plays are screen pass, which means you got to make guys miss, and the deep ball, which means you got to get separation. So can West Virginia do one or both of those things and get this offense moving? It's a great point. Let's um let me let me show you an ink plot, Chris. Okay. 14 contested throws. By the way, five contested catches for Bryce Ford Wheaton. He had seven last year and the year before. Pretty good. Yeah. Is this receivers not getting open, or is it a quarterback who says, I'm going to give my guys a chance? And by the way, I can thread the needle. Because uh, they had some contested catches too. Like, yeah, they did eight of fourteen. I, I don't know. I have to go back and see what because you hear people say fifty fifty balls. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if these are fifty fifty balls. Some of some of them certainly were. Some of these, you know, a couple of these ones that you're talking about with Daniels, kind of just being like, I'm gonna let my guy make plays. Um, we certainly saw that. A couple of those little quick three step got drop go routes um, where he knows that you know Bryce Ford Wheaton. And in a couple instances, Caden uh, Prather has his guy one-on-one on the outside and deep and just says, all right, uh, I, have, I have faith in you. And a couple of times it paid off, like the, the Ford Wheaton touchdowns, both of those, uh, as you wrote and you noted, um, Daniels switched the playoff on that, the route off on those, and, and was able to hit Bryce Ford Wheaton in one-on-ones. So I, I think there is some merit to that, that this is something Daniels is willing to do and has trust in his receivers. but. You know what's even better than throwing a go route to a guy that's draped <laughs> by a receiver or Tell by me. a quarterback? Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> throwing a pass to a receiver that's open 30 yards downfield. Yeah. Just, it would be nice. Uh, Kansas corners, they, they've kind of done a weird thing there. They have some older players and younger players, and they're tall. They're, they're six feet. They're going to be – they'll be there. They play some man. They played a lot of zone. I, I really couldn't tell you what their defensive plan was based on what I saw. I just know that their offensive coordinator – and their defensive coordinator un, unchanged. So that will be one to watch there, too. Um, defensive line for West Virginia, we mentioned. Um, an interesting stat here. Their, uh, their center for Kansas, um, Mike Nowitzki. One of the guys that they brought over from Buffalo. There's quite a few Buffalo transfers um, on this roster. 
one of the better centers in the country. 2,302 career snaps without allowing a sack. I'm going to assume that number is pinned in Jordan Jefferson's locker. <laughs> 2,302 snaps without allowing a sack. Now, that's pretty pretty good there, too. But, again, they, they play behind their offensive line. We'll see. Big plays will be good. Um, back to the, the, the defense for Kansas, too. Um, back to front, pretty strong. They build that way. They have Logan at the back end. Their corners are okay. Um, they have added talent to their front, though. Some linebackers from big-time schools that transferred in. And then they get three sacks out of their transfer from Miami of Ohio last week. Um, I'm getting the spinning wheel of death, and I can't remember his name right now. Lonnie Phelps. Lonnie Phelps. Um, Stand-up edge guy. Uh, does not put his hand on the ground very often. He's like an outside linebacker, but was a guy who had talent and potential his first couple of years in Miami. And then, bang, nine and a half sacks last year. Hits the portal, finds Kansas. They have kind of rebuilt their defense a little bit with some – Similar to West Virginia, they've just done it in the front as opposed to the back, and it looks like they have they have some ability there that maybe you're not used to when you talk about Kansas. But they also have some players back who were effective last year. Yeah, the the, the Phelps thing is is legit. Uh, you know, he was somebody that I think I'm trying to remember how I what the countdown was, but he was part of my top ten new transfers or something like that in the Big Twelve for opposing teams. Um, he is legitimately good. Um, he he does one thing, not the only thing, but he does one thing really well, and that's rush the passer. Obviously did that in week one. Um, and then, you, you know, you mentioned in the back end there, Kenny Logan is, and it's somebody, I think there was only a couple guys that Neil Brown mentions by name, and he was one of them. And there's a reason he does everything for them. Um, you look at where he lines up on the field, I, I asked uh, Michael Swain about that the other day. I was like, where, where exactly does he play? Because he's mm-hmm. listed as a safety. But when you go and look, uh, right now I'm looking at his snaps for their season opener. Uh, 19 in the box, 13 as a corner, 13 as a safety. Uh, you know, And then he's on special teams as well. So he is all over the place. He's all over the field. He's not afraid to come up and and get in there and make a tackle, force a fumble. But he can stay back and drop back and provide – uh, coverage on the back end at the top of the house there. Um, so he's somebody you got to watch out for at all times. And he's somebody that's going to make a difference for Kansas if if they're going to, uh, you know, kind of put up a fight on Saturday. Also a rare safety who returns kicks or punts. Mm-hmm. But they just said that this is one of our best guys. Let's get him in there. We're not going to play him on offense, but, like, let's turn a special teams play into offense. And, and he's dangerous, too. He's done some good things, too, um, in, in the past and also this year. Mentioned linebackers, uh, Gavin Potter last year gave West Virginia fits. Ten tackles, returning interceptions for a touchdown. He's back. Um, they also have uh, Taiwan Berryhill, a guy who I think they thought was going to be a good player and, and came along last season and helped and, and played a little bit last game. Again, hard to tell what they're going to do, but they're transfers at linebacker. Um, Craig Young from Ohio State, Eric Gilliard from Central Florida, Lorenzo McCaskill from Louisiana. Um, a, a range of, of good programs to good players there in depth. And like, that's just a thing to me where Kansas, again, similar to what maybe Neil Brown is doing. They're trying to find players who were on winning teams. I think there are 13 transfers that they brought in. 10 were on winning teams last year. And Kansas needs that. We'll see how much it matters and how much they can do. But it's changing. Um, we'll, we'll begin to wrap it up with this, Chris. If Kansas is going to pull this off, um, 
again, I think it's a game that you can expect Kansas to compete. Can you expect them to win? Probably not there yet, but competing can lead to a win. We've seen that before. If Kansas can win, we've mentioned big plays, getting open, but is there a particular matchup, whether it's an offensive unit versus a defensive unit or vice versa, a player versus a player that has to click? And maybe it's a single as singular as one player on offense or defense who just has to have a good game or can't afford to have a bad game. I'm looking at, uh, on from Kansas's point of view, for them to be competitive and have a chance to win, I think a lot of it's going to uh, go on the shoulders of Jalen Daniels or his feet, most okay. likely, because we've talked about Kansas wants to run the ball. They're going to have five running backs out there. They're going to do this weird diamond formation with three running backs out there. I think West Virginia has what it takes to stop that. If you are going to try to traditionally run the ball against West Virginia, you are going to have a bad time. Uh, but if you can spread it out, if you can get Daniels to not make mistakes, hit some cl- quick, clean, short passes, get a couple first downs, also make some damage with his feet, then I think you got something cooking on offense. And I think that's something that that you might see from Kansas a little more. Obviously, you, you're not you're going kind of vanilla when you're playing an FCS, a bad FCS team like Tennessee Tech, but it wouldn't surprise me if Daniels is a little more involved in the offense, a little more involved with his feet on, in Morgantown on Saturday. Okay, that was pretty much my answer, uh, not word for word, but <laughs> but no, but like that's a guy that can do it, and and the way that West Virginia loses this game is Daniels comes in and hits some big plays and goes. Um, he is not a 300 yard per game passer. He's not. Um, Neil Brown's teams are 0 and 5 when they give up 300 yards passing, including Keaton Slovis. That's across three plus years now. That's not a very big number, but you can kind of tell the way West Virginia builds its defense. You know, let's control the run and make sure that the pass doesn't pop up and beat us. And Daniels, and by extension, Kansas, and some of his receivers, don't forget Luke Graham had a big game against West Virginia last year. I'm sure he's confident to get back out there again. Um, But if Kansas can easily move the ball and get big plays or consistently move the ball with pass plays and they top 300 yards, I think that's going to be a tough game for West Virginia to win. I don't anticipate that happening. It could. We'll see. And then Daniels, listen, he's going to have to do this consistently. He had a nice run last year. Um, and again, it's it's hard to judge him just because of the talent around him. It's not terrific. And sometimes the quarterback lifts you up, and sometimes you lift the quarterback up. But road neutral games last year, completed 71% of his passes, five touchdowns, one interception. Pretty good. Um, home games, 67%, two touchdowns, two picks. Now, who did he play? Sure, that's a difference, but... I don't think necessarily that, that he's a guy who's going to come into Mountaineer Field at 6 o'clock and be like, huh, I don't know if I can do this because his road numbers have been better than his, his home numbers. And that's a team that's probably searching for a win and really wants one. Maybe the environment doesn't matter as much as the opponent. We'll see. But I, I think that's the guy that you have to – that's the individual matchup. Him against the pass rush, him against the secondary, you know, him against Jordan Leslie. I don't know, but I think that's the guy. I don't have a better answer. You stump me, and I'm rambling. Um how about hey, some... I've already I've already told uh, Michael from the Kansas site this is a Jalen Daniels positive uh, site over here in podcast okay. uh, that we were on this early. I mean, I think we were even when he was a true freshman, both of us on this very podcast said that guy's pretty athletic. Why not? 
put him out there and let him grow with this team. And and we just didn't understand it as they kept trying to bring in veterans like they were, you know, one piece away from competing for a Big 12 title. So uh, it doesn't he was terrible at, He was terrible on the road. Um, yeah. As a true freshman in 2020, remember, he played, didn't count, yes. and they had a decision. But he was terrible. But, like, the maturation last year was pretty good for him. And, again, they, they wanted Richard and couldn't. They were like, this guy's probably too good. Uh, but the road wins for him. The road games for him were Coastal Carolina. He got in late. Texas and TCU. Say what you will, but those are tough places and good opponents. So um, he's been tested a little bit. How about some individuals here? Since you kind of goofed me up, and there's probably more we can talk about without going into great detail. Um, Caden Brather. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a Robin of the Batman. I contend that Bryce Ford Wheaton's going to have a large year if he stays healthy and then stays on whatever path that it seems like he has cleared for himself. He's going to get targeted a lot. He's going to be bigger and maybe be better than some of the cornerbacks he sees. He's going to have opportunities. Prather feels to me like a guy they're going to share that tape to, and he's going to be like, man, what was I thinking? What was I doing? And he's going to be better. Um, can they win without him? Can they win with him playing the way he played against Pitt? Not maybe just Saturday, but just in general. It's just offense going to go as far. If, if he doesn't, never mind play better than he did Thursday, but like a lot better than he played Thursday. No, because right now it seems like the big things that West Virginia wants to do, again, the, the screen passes, the deep passes, they love to throw deep left to Bryce Ford Wheaton, at least in the first game. And if Prather is not a threat on the opposite side, that deep safety or however they're setting up on defense, they can start shading towards Bryce Ford Wheaton and try to take him away and just dare West Virginia to try to throw to Prather and, and let Prather beat them. Now, I think I'm with you. I think Prather... It has the talent, has shown some glimpses of being great, but he's going to have to put it together because West Virginia needs that second threat on the outside over there to keep defenses honest and, and let Bryce Ford Wheaton flourish on the other side. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right offensive line. I think Jordan White's going to play. Neil Brown said he was probable. We've heard that he's been green jerseyed in practice, which means he can participate. He's been snapping. He's been, which is like customary when they they have like four or five guys snap before practices. But he's been there doing that, playing some right guard, but limited. I don't know what they do though. <laughs> I, I would guess they slide Nestor back inside and play Hubbard at right tackle. Maybe Yates. If Yates has a great week of practice, but if you're going to run the ball and you're going to do some things there, that that seems like it. It's it's a big deal. And then just because we're on the injury card here, Charles Woods sounds like he hadn't been practicing. Red jersey, which means no participation. Um, Neil Brown did not have an update for him Tuesday, which was five days after he got hurt. But maybe less likely that he plays. Just those two positions there, does right guard or right tackle have to do anything different or better? And then I would say yes is the answer for cornerback because the cornerback play was not great but what expectations do you have for names or performances in place of Woods and by extension also uh, Wesley McCormick I don't think we'll see much difference on the offensive line I think no. again you'll kind of stick with what they already got they, they they sampled all that in the preseason I think they know their options and we saw the two main options already um, and that's what it'll be one of those two uh, you know, white white at guard, Nestor at tackle, or Nestor at guard and, and Hubbard at tackle. Um, corner, man, that mm. is going to be interesting because it it went south fast. 
not just for coverage, but for tackling, as you noted. And I honestly do not know where they go because it it threw me through a loop. I don't know if you, you know, felt the same way or or how quickly you noticed that Mumu bin Wahad was the one that came in when McCormick went out instead of Andrew Wilson Lamp. Because you know, back in the spring, it seemed like Wilson Lamp was fine. You know, okay, like looked like he might be a, an average corner, which again is a compliment for a guy that is so young. And then you expect a whole offseason. Maybe he's getting better. And at the time, it looked like Ben Wahad, I think, in the spring game, you know, what little we got to see of it and or, or of him throughout the spring and then into the spring game, looked like he was still learning. Like, I think he had a couple pass interference penalties. He lost track of the ball a couple times. It just seemed like Wilson Lamp was way ahead of him heading into the summer. And... Uh, maybe you had heard differently. I hadn't heard anything that indicated that that had flipped so dramatically that come game time, they immediately went to Ben Wahad at corner and, you know, no sign of Wilson Lamb. Uh, I think it says he, he played a handful of snaps on special teams, but nothing on defense. Uh, Neil Brown did not say that he was injured. Mentioned him as a possibility. Mentioned Ben Wahad as a possibility. Mentioned, you know, spells. I I don't want to read too much into it, but it certainly sounded to me like, hey, Spells has all the talent in the world, but he's not ready yet. Period. Like, yeah. Period. <laughs> like, so, it, it was pretty clear, like, he just wasn't going to go down that line. Absolutely. He might not be ready yet. Ben Wahad had the benefit of 15 spring practices and also um, the spring game and that, that whole thing, being here an entire semester. He's been here as long as spells has been, but also a significant, like substantial, sentimental uh, portion longer. Like it matters a whole lot there too. Um, someone pressed Brian about this. Someone, mm-hmm. yeah, someone. And the the answer was interesting because you know maybe things are different if you know entering a half or entering a game or even a series that McCormick's going to be out or Woods is going to be out, whatever. Like you know that you're going to have to make a change. You know. So how much of it is pre-programmed and how much of it is kind of if then? If we have time to prepare, we'll put this guy in. If it's in the middle of a series, we'll put this guy in. And he said that Shadon Brown, who is their defensive co-coordinator, the secondary coach, he works with the corners specifically. Um, they went over this stuff, and Brown quizzes them for all these scenarios, and he had an answer. And I guess the thing was that if there's a quick change, i.e. targeting, throw in Ben Wahad. And they are apparently impressed with his pedigree, which is like a first-team All-State corner at a 7A school in Georgia. And perhaps he was best suited to jump into the backyard brawl cold and go. That's interesting. That shows a lot of forethought and a lot of faith. But um, he did also mention, yeah, Wilson Lamp, Jacoby Spells, Malachi Ruffin. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see. Those guys are all going to rep the heck out of it this week. Just just going by what Brown said, that, that the competition started on Sunday in their practice and would continue Tuesday and Wednesday and they make a decision Wednesday. I, I think they're leaning toward accepting the fact that Woods isn't going to go. And I I wonder what they do then. Do you stretch out Ben Wahad or whomever for a full half until McCormick gets in? Or whoever you pick starts and then you give the other guys chances. And then when McCormick comes back, let's be honest, McCormick was not draping himself in glory out there. Is McCormick a guy that automatically assumes the role he had the first game? Or do you use that first half? and however many guys you play and how they perform in conjunction with the practice performances and ratings and just kind of figure it out as you go along here. It, it feels to me very fluid because it's probably just a one-game thing, maybe two ankles are tricky, but 
if they have an answer, how they arrive at that answer and how often that answer kind of moves will be very interesting for me to watch because it could matter. I mean, it really could matter because what are you going to do against West Virginia? You're going to take a shot at their pass defense more than their rush defense right now. And then where are you going to aim? There's going to be that fluorescent arrow pointing over that cornerback, I'm certain. Yeah, definitely. And I think I this is I don't I don't know. I'm trying to think of when this has happened last. I mean, at the cornerback position specifically, I'm thinking back a couple of years ago, right when what was it like? Keith Washington was out, and somebody else had just gotten suspended for the first half of the next game because of targeting, and I mean, it, it ended up being like a walk on and Nick Troy Fortune. Like as the two the two corners for Oklahoma, Tay Mayo, Tay yes. So I I mean it was it was West Virginia's been in this place before and it's always concerned me about their lack of depth at corner because it's been frequent recently you know in recent years some issues with getting depth at cornerback um, for these kind of scenarios and then as you noted Wesley McCormick the lowest graded player on the entire team. And not even close, like by a considerable margin on defense, at least for McCormick, according to PFF. Um, and that was even with, you know, a couple plays where he just got beat bad on like a slant post route or whatever it was. And Pitt just missed him. Pitt mi- missed their guy twice in the span of like four plays. And, and I'm shocked they didn't go back to that again because it was, it was open easy on him twice there. And, uh, so, like you said, if McCormick sits out the first half. Ben Wahad does fine. Do you take Ben Wahad out the second half? I don't know if I would. Mm-mm. No. And, and yeah, you're right. If, if Woods is out this game, even if he comes in strolling to the, uh, you know, to the field on Sunday, re- sprinting 100 yards, I'm still telling him to sit out the Towson game. Yeah, right. I agree. Like there's there's no doubt this is a two week injury. It's only a question of whether it's a a three week injury or a long. All right, let's wrap it up, Chris, as we always do. We'll talk sometime around, I don't know, 11, maybe (laughs) judging by the length of the first game. Uh, We'll we'll speak to each other Saturday evening. Who? What are we talking about? That explains the outcome we witnessed. 6 p.m. game out in your field. By the way, 6 p.m. Kudos to Shane Lyons. He said that when they have ESPN plus games, they will never play at noon. Uh, following through, he gives his head coach his first home night game, uh, provided something really bizarre happens and they have to cancel this one. But uh, you might not like ESPN Plus. This is a benefit, though. You get a night game because you want to schedule it whenever you you can to help yourself. And this seems like a pretty good opportunity to give Neil Brown a home game. That's why he's on Twitter. Uh, hey, fans, come out. Don't give up. We got a night game for it. It should be a show. So, again, hat tip to Shane and Neil for making that happen. Now they got to follow through. What is leading our discussion Saturday? Defensive line. If West Virginia wins, it's because they have shut down the run game, which, again, I'm expecting them to shut down the traditional run game. But if it's competitive or if Kansas pulls off the shocker, it's because the defense loses contain, can't wrap up, can't finish on some sacks and some pressures on Jalen Daniels, who gets outside of the pocket and makes some plays with his feet, maybe his arm uh, in some scramble drill stuff. So I think – Win or lose, we might be talking about the defensive line. Okay. I'm going to kind of stick with a similar point. It's a thread I've had woven into a lot of the stuff I thought about this team, but their their experience, savviness, maturity, whatever adjective that you want to use to uh, describe the wherewithal they have. And this is a team that really thinks that it's as good 
as it nearly was on Thursday night against Pitt. It should be that again and maybe even better, ultimately successful against Kansas. And if the untimely errors can get out of the way because you can fix that stuff, as the quarterback said, you can clean up the execution. The fight is there. Um, If they get that bottled quickly, a turnaround from a rivalry game, a little bit more time to prepare, some adversity when you look at the roster and and some performances and maybe position battles, um, they win. And if they don't, they lose. So this is going to be a test of that. They may have it, and it may not be very dramatic, which is good. And if they don't have it and it becomes unnecessarily dramatic, that's bad. And that kind of pulls the rug out from, I think, some of the strengths that you can assign to this team is that they do have veterans. They did bring in players who have seen a lot of football before. But if those veterans and those people who have seen a lot of football aren't getting it done and you lose it home to Kansas or it's really close and concerning, uh, you kind of buckle up because you're not going to get an answer like you just insinuated a week later against Towson. And, you know, hopefully then you would have everything tied up by the time you go to Virginia Tech. But it's an early test. It's on the schedule. You know what's coming. They circled it. They talked about it in the locker room. And now you got to put your pieces in play and hope that what you thought is actually true. And, and you can get across the board and, and, and do what you need to do without any drama. Well, I guess we'll find out on Saturday, 6 p.m. kickoff. Um, you gave kudos to Shane Lyons. Was was that what he was screaming about after the pit game? We will be on ESPN Plus <laughs> at 6 p.m. It's our call. I did not I, we, see that. Well, I didn't either. Again, only saw the report from uh, Andrea Adelson, right, from ESPN that that wrote that. But I can't. I I, I also can't get us off on this this topic right now because we've already gone way too long. The UFC has caused an influx of subscribers and brought us into the living rooms of several thousand more people than expected. <laughs> No, uh, I think that's what happened. We'll get the closed captioning next time. Uh, if they let us back on the air, we'll see. Until yeah. then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.